0: and welcome once again to the before and after show as always i'm your co-host mj smith
1: and i am your co-host ryan buell welcome sir thank you good to be back
0: yep uh we are done talking about tom hanks and sully yes we are uh and so it's time to move on to the next thing which is magnificent seven
1: Woohoo! but
0: before we do that have you been watching anything
1: yeah yeah well as the halloween season quickly approaches i find the need to watch the Resident Evil franchise, which mm. I am a fan of. It's a guilty pleasure. I realize those are widely regarded as absolutely terrible movies, but they are I love them. They're yeah. just fun to watch. They're stupid. All of but them? Pretty much. I mean, okay. the first one I think they tried to take seriously. yeah, But two through, what is it now, five? Yeah. They're just no holds bar. Just zombie killing. Terrible acting.
0: Yeah. I, uh... I've seen, like, only a few of them and kind of out of order. Like, I think I saw the second one first.
1: Oh. And then I
0: saw the first one. And th- I've never seen the third one.
1: Third-ish. The third one I like. It's... The
0: third one seems like the coolest one. Yeah,
1: that one they went for the post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Tool. Like, they based it off of Mad Max. Yeah. Um, have you
0: seen the trailer for the new one?
1: I have. I'm excited Good for it. Good
0: lord did they base that off Mad Max. Like, I feel no. like they
1: could sue yeah probably
0: <laughs> uh it just it, it just felt like all the sound design and everything felt like mad road Max. warrior yeah um,
1: fairy road it felt road. like the fury
0: road trailer i like i almost yeah. wonder if they hired the same trailer house to cut it,
1: it might have i don't know i'm, I'm excited for that one because they're going back to reckon city. Where, reckon city kind of where it all began um I don't know if I'll see it in theaters. If I do, I'd be the only one. Yeah. Because my wife won't see it with me, and I don't think you have any desire to see it, so...
0: I, no. <laughs> no. Let's
1: be honest. Um, but no, I, I. it's a fun franchise, and I don't know, for whatever whatever reason, Halloween It's just like, this feels like the right time.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, kind of spooky times. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, like, it,
1: it's established that you don't dig too much on
0: horror movies, so it's like... No. It kind of scratches that itch without scratching that itch. Yeah, it
1: very much does. Like... The only way I can tolerate a horror movie, or horror movie-ish, if there's a hero mm-hmm. that can fight against whatever's horrible. And that's what Resident Evil gives me. It gives me yeah. the, the horror, but there's good guys killing the horrible things. So yeah. I, that's how I justify it, and I can I can roll with that.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Um, how about you? Uh, is that all you watched? That's all I've been watching uh, lately. Let's see. What did I watch? Um, I watched uh, half of Gunga Din and turned it off. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. I watched... Oh! The other one I really want to talk about, I watch Eight Days a Week, the Ron Howard documentary about the Beatles oh, when they were on tour. Um, So it's the Eight Days a Week, the Touring Years of the Beatles, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. It's available on Hulu. Hulu produced the movie. Okay. And Ron Howard directed it. Man, is there some sort of petition I can start to get Ron Howard to only be allowed to make documentary movies? Yeah. This is the best thing he's made ever ever i, I kind of want to say ever what about willow i kind of want to say ever like this movie's <laughs> really good man it's yeah. really good he is one hell of a documentary filmmaker it's incredible um you know the beatles are inarguably the biggest band that's uh, ever been around yeah um you know whether or not you like them or not uh whether or not you're normal or not you there's there's like they're in arguably the biggest thing that's ever happened to music yeah and you know it would be really easy to put a lot of bloat in a movie like this because there's so much of their story that is fascinating and but we also have the beatles anthology documentary that that exists and so he focused really on like they only toured for two years mm. they came up in the clubs in uh the cavern club in in liverpool and yeah. um i don't remember the name of the strip club but the strip club they performed it in hamburg germany that's where they got their like the malcolm gladwell like ten thousand hours to become geniuses thing yeah. that's where they got all that but then when they became like the beatles they only toured from 1964 to the end of 1966 and then they were in the studio for the rest of their career except for the one time in 69 or 70 i think it was 69 when they performed on the rooftop of apple records so this movie is focusing specifically on them on tour, mm-hmm. which is not a lot, like, there's not a lot of information about, there is a lot of information about that, but it's not really been explored in depth like this. Okay. And Howard, like, gets into the nitty gritty. The, you know, the benefit of it is two of those guys are still alive and he was able to get interviews with them. So there's footage of, like, there's firsthand accounts of McCartney and Starr talking about the craziness, and then they overlay it with the footage of those concerts. Mm-hmm. It is bananas it's yeah. so crazy man they showed one where seven thousand people rushed the stage whoa yeah it was nuts like it was crazy um they also showed they were responsible for the first major stadium tour and uh they played at shea stadium in new york where the new york mets played um to an audience of 56,500 people. Dang. I can't even imagine.
1: That must have been terrifying. Yeah,
0: right? They, uh... Ringo has this great quote where he was like, we couldn't hear ourselves. Like, it was 56,500 people screaming at us. Yeah. We had no monitors. There were no monitors on the stage. It was before stage monitors were a thing. Yeah. Um... He, Ringo's like I had to look at John and Paul's asses to determine where we were on the song <laughs> <laughs> the
1: beat that they were
0: doing oh, yeah. Um, and then on top of that there weren't PA systems that could handle a stadium outside of those little loudspeakers that they put the announcers through so that's what they fed the freaking Beatles through oh. so the 56,500 people heard a Beatles concert like this <laughs>
1: interesting show i'm sure to he, say the least yeah um my
0: dad actually i watched it with my dad and my dad saw them at um dodgers stadium in la and once again it was on that stadium tour yeah. and so he heard them like this but there were so many people screaming he said it just you couldn't hear him. yeah he couldn't hear him at all and it was they were so far away you couldn't see him and they didn't have projectors so you might
1: as well have not been there that <laughs> you moment. might as
0: well have listened to the record it would have sounded better mm. um and like that was the thing that struck me um, about the whole thing about them performing live gosh they just like it's it's well established that they're like great songwriters and paul McCartney mentions that him and john wrote 300 songs or just under 300 songs in like eight years or something stupid but you watch them and you're just like man they didn't have the tech that you know and maybe this is because i'm i'm a sound tech Um, as kind of a moonlighting gig and as a hobby for a long time and if i still had a kid i played the drums and i learned how to play the drums on ringo's drumming and you know people always talk about what a bad drummer ringo is i defy you to say that after you watch this movie Mm.
2: um
0: that man's timing was solid as a freaking rock always he was just right there on beat on time always he moved those songs and he played fast and he played hard. Um, he was like he honestly, I think he was the original punk rock drummer. If you see yeah. how hard he hits these drums, it's freaking ridiculous. Yeah. Like I I couldn't believe it. Like, um, and and he's he's the backbone of these songs. Yeah. And he was playing on a stage with no stage monitors behind the amps of the guys. So he couldn't hear their instruments really at all. Yeah. I've been in that situation before where the I've only played one live show in my entire life. The PA was in front of us. My guy's amps were in front of us, and they didn't give us monitors like they had promised. And it is so hard to do that. It is so hard to try and keep the song going.
1: Yeah, when you can't hear when you else. can't
0: hear anything else. And so I, I like I was like, nope. Like Ringo is the realest MVP ever, man. Like yeah. he just rules. And uh yeah, it was just their musicianship was so tight. Uh and also if you still don't believe me, go and listen to, I want to say, I think it's I Saw Her Standing There with Pete Best drumming, and then go listen to the Ringo version, and man, (laughs) Ringo's so much better than Pete Best. Um, And so it's, yeah, you should check it out uh, if you like the Beatles at all. What's it called again? Eight Days a Week, the touring years of the Beatles. The end is so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just... And it's this, just this ending montage and the way he the way he cuts it together with the song he chooses and the way it just works perfectly. Like, he sticks the landing on this. Yes. Uh, it's like, the ending is was so cathartic and satisfying for me. And on the other end of the spectrum, you see, like, the terror in these guys' eyes. Like, they were kids, man. They were yeah. 21.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I think one of them was 19 when they were on Ed, Ed Sullivan.
1: Dang. Yeah.
0: 19 years old? Mm-hmm yeah and so it's just like man they didn't know anything like think about yourself at 19 and 20 like and then being just like the biggest thing on the planet yeah it's women so...
1: screaming my name <sighs> they that's not the part ter- i'm signaling yeah. out but you know yeah, what i yeah. mean
0: <laughs> they were terrified and like they talk about it they were like you know elvis had this and he was alone the only reason we toured for two years even is because we had each other yeah. we all knew what we were going through elvis didn't Alice didn't have anyone. That's why he went crazy later in his life. That yeah. Ringo says that basically in the movie, he was like, we all had each other. And so we knew, um, and McCartney even tells us great story about like, yeah, you would get to the hotel and you would have your street clothes on. And then we would put on our Beetle suits and we would look in the mirror and be like, wow, we're them. Like I was, um, it's, there's so much great insight in that. Um, and you just, there's interview clips and you see how hilarious they were. They were really like really witty and really quick on their feet. Like they say hilarious stuff all the time. There's this great interview where, uh, the, it's right after they play their first stadium show. And, uh, John's being interviewed, and he's like, what'd you think? And he was like, oh, man, we were no match for them. They were so loud. And he was like, what do you have to say to America? 40 million people right there. And he points at the camera, and John Lennon looks at the camera and goes, well, that only looks like one guy to me.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: It was so great.
1: Did you know, a little bit of a tying between Lord of the Rings and the Beatles, did you know they were originally slated to be in a Lord of the Rings movie adaptation? I think I did know that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was going to be uh, Paul was supposed to be Frodo, Ringo was supposed to be Sam, uh, George was supposed to be Gandalf, and John was supposed to be Gollum. <laughs> that was the original setup.
0: That's so weird. That's so weird. <laughs> George Harrison loved movies. Mm-hmm. He produced uh, Life of Brian for the Monty Python guys. He did? Yeah, he is the only producer on that movie. He put up 100% of the money for that movie because no one would fund them because the subject matter was so controversial. Mm um that's crazy yeah george harrison really liked movies that's awesome yep uh so yeah go watch that uh we will take a short break and uh go to film school where Corey and i are talking about some stuff this week uh i will let (laughs) us tell you what um yeah (laughs) and you will hear us talk about magnificent seven right after that
1: magnificent seven wow 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 (laughs)
0: Jay here. I'm with Corey Tyndall. Hello, and welcome to another installment of the Before and After Show Film School. Yes. This is a biggie, you guys. Uh, this is the
3: one we've been building to.
0: Yeah. Um, as you know, the 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 conceit of this would be that Corey and I would take turns teaching about film history and an element of film. Mm -hmm. And I think the next set of episodes after these, we'll get back to the element of film, but we really wanted to sprint towards this one because it's going to be the wrap up on on the silent era. Um, And the more I think about it, the the more there are people that I wanted to touch on, but I think this is a really good leap forward uh, or a really good thing to, to, to kind of use as a stepping stone into where we're going to be headed in with uh, talkies and sound getting, Added two movies, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of the way technology evolved, and also the almo- almost a little bit the themes. But you'll hear more about that in the next set of episodes, or the the next next set of episodes. So we will be getting back to the element of like film structure. Um, yeah, we wanted to time this one with the release of the 2016 movie birth of a nation, because we're talking about the 1915 birth of a nation.
3: Yes. And
0: I say that with some trepidation because, well, you should know by now. Um, And if not, we'll get into it in detail. But first um, we are going to talk about the guy who made this movie. Uh, Birth of a nation is a movie From director D.W. Griffith, Uh, D.W. Griffith's full name was David Llewellyn Wark Griffith. Um, He ended up shortening that for the screen to D.W. Griffith. He was born on January 22nd, 1875, not 1975, 1875 in Kentucky to Mary Perkins and Jacob, quote, Roaring Jake. Griffith his father jacob was a confederate army colonel in the american civil war and was eventually elected as a kentucky state legislator That's really important. Um mm-hmm. In 1908 he uh, dw uh, began a career as a stage extra In in uh, professional jealousy, which was a movie for biograph if you remember that from last set of episodes That's where mary pickford got her start Griffith and Pickford met, and they were really good friends. They both kind of started in the industry at the same spot. Griffith was Griffith was with Biograph for a few years. Biograph really only had one main director, a guy named Wallace McCutcheon. And Wallace McCutcheon grew ill the same year he started working for them. And Wallace McCutcheon's son took his place, but... The studio didn't have any successful titles under Wallace McCutcheon Jr.'s reign. So they removed him from the position of uh, Biograph's director and gave Griffith the position. So... He, in 1908, um, he made his first short movie called The Adventures of Dolly. And by the end of just 1908, he started as an extra in 1908 and ended up being their main director by the end of the year and directed 48 short films just in 1908. Wow. Uh, And then in 1910, he moved out to Hollywood and made a short called In Old California. And four years after that, in 1914, he directed uh, Judith Judith of Bethuela, which is uh, a, an adaptation of a book of the Bible, the book Judith, which uh, you know for our Protestant listeners, is mm-hmm. not in our Bible, but it is a Catholic book of the Bible. Yes um and it's actually one of the earliest movies to be produced in the united states so he's had his hand in a lot of film history in 1915 he made a film for reliance majestic studios called the klansman and that's where we're going to camp out today the klansman was later retitled the birth of a nation but it was based off of a book of the same name and it is widely considered one of the most important films ever made uh for Mm -hmm. several reasons which we'll get into in a second Um, birth of a nation was highly controversial. It's a piece about the KKK and how heroic they were after, uh, the civil war ended and, and how, um, their basic, basically their oppression of black people was ultimately good for the South. That was the message of the movie. (laughs) A lot. It caused a very visceral reaction in a lot of places, a lot of places in the North really and the South. Um, and he ended up following up the birth of a nation with a movie, Called Intolerance, which was all about intolerance. It was it was actually also super important because it came out in 1916, a year after Birth of a Nation was super controversial. And it's a three and a half hour movie. Wow. <laughs> and th- it, it follows four parallel storylines separated by several centuries. So the first one is uh, a contemporary, remember contemporary is 1915-1916, a contemporary mm. melodrama about crime and redemption. Uh, The second story is a story of Jesus. Oh. Uh, The third story is a story in France surrounding the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre of 1572. And the fourth one is about the fall of the Babylonian Empire to Persia in 539 BC. Wow. Yep. A lot of people viewed it as his apology for birth of a nation it was anything but his apology for birth of a nation
3: oh no it was
0: intended griffith's intention was not to show that the that these were stories of intolerance that he was trying to tell in birth of a nation they were supposed to be stories of intolerance that he suffered as a result of the criticism he personally received for making birth of a nation So he was saying in these, in these stories, he's the recipient of all the intolerance. So he, he made this movie that (laughs) likens his criticism for making birth of a nation to the story of Jesus. Yeah. I was just about to be like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Wow. That's the kind of man he was. Wow. (laughs) Yep. And then, uh, he directed a few other movies. Um, Intolerance actually is considered the first art house film uh, because it's it's got this sort of nonlinear storytelling and also each one of the four stories is actually tinted in a different color. It's a really kind of fascinating movie. Uh, And it's also part of the National Film Registry. He has five movies in the National Film Registry. But uh, yeah, the intent behind it is super weird.
3: Yeah, that sounds like it.
0: So in 1917, his partnership with, um, uh, what did I say? With Reliance Majestic Studios dissolved. And he went on to work with Artcraft, which was part of Paramount Pictures at the time. And then... Uh, In 1919, he went to First National Pictures, but also in 1919, he helped found United Artists with Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And then after he left First National in 1920, he stuck around with um, United Artists. At his time in United Artists, he... Did a handful of films, but nothing too successful, especially when you consider the box office that Birth of a Nation pulled in. And even the box office to a lesser extent than Intolerance pulled in. He never really quite had another hit that massive. Um, so he only... his association at least as a head of united artists was pretty short-lived he was he was uh forced to leave united artists as a studio head after his movie in 1924 isn't life wonderful failed to do very well at the box office mm-hmm. um and he continued making films for united artists they kept distributing his movies he just didn't have a say in the way the company was ran oh, okay. um and he he directed uh, up through 1936, I believe. No, sorry. He directed up till 1931. And his last film was called The Struggle. And it wasn't very successful. Uh, he never made directly another film. He had a hand in a couple other ones. He had a film. Uh, he helped He helped Woody Van Dyke direct an earthquake sequence for a movie called San Francisco, which was about the San Francisco earthquake. Mm-hmm. And he was not credited in the movie for helping Woody Van Dyke. And oh. it was the top grossing film of 1936. Oh, no. Yep. Uh, and then in 1939, uh, Hal Roach hired Griffith to help produce a version of, of Mice and Men and a caveman picture called One Million B.C. Um, Griffith actually ended up leaving those Roach productions because they were were uh, arguing over the, the direction it was going a lot. But... How Roach actually insisted that some of the scenes in the completed films were uh, directed by DW Griffith and if that's true, his last his last active involvement in a film was uh, 1 million BC. there's kind of it's kind of a muddy uh, history. Some cast members just think that he directed the screen tests and the costume tests when they were just like doing the, t- the pre-production. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually as a matter of fact, when Roach went to advertise, Um, 1 million BC he he advertised it with griffith listed as the producer and griffith wrote to uh roach and asked him to be removed from the uh oh from the the movie's credits so yeah um so potentially 1 million BC is the last movie he really had a hand in but the more accepted one is the uh not the struggle uh san francisco is Mm -hmm. is the one he had uh an active hand in at least as a producer or at least as a a director um in july 23rd 1948 griffith was discovered unconscious in uh, a hotel in los angeles he had been living there alone um and he died of a cerebral hemorrhage oh yep they had a big service for him and not a lot of people showed up uh he actually the service was at the hollywood masonic temple which i've been to Um, It's actually on the grounds at the uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I haven't been inside, but I've been near it. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, not uh, not a lot of people showed up. However, uh, Griffith's impact on the rest of film history is undeniable. To the point where Charlie Chaplin referred to Griffith as the teacher of us all. Wow. Um, Yep. And John Ford, Alfred Hitchcock, Orson Welles, Lev Kolshev, Jean Renard, Cecil B. DeMille, King Vidor, Victor Fleming, Raoul Walsh, Carl Theodore Dreyer, and Sergei Einstein and Kubrick have all said that a direct influence for them making movies was intolerance. Wow. Uh, Orson Welles said, I have never really hated Hollywood except for its treatment of DW Griffith. No town, no industry, no profession, no art form owes so much to a single man. So he was very well respected uh, by his, his successors. Um, And you can like, like I said, Hmm. five of his films are actually on the national film registry, which is um, films that are deemed as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant lady helen's escapade a corner in the wheat birth of a nation intolerance and broken blossoms so he i mean that's a pretty good uh role yeah <laughs> right there so uh yeah we're talking that's an overview of the man i think you know we don't usually do that in depth of a biography but i think it's super important to uh, kind of understand where we're coming from with this movie
3: yeah um, definitely. with this
0: movie in particular Uh, so we'll talk about the movie a little bit now, but, uh, Corey, do you have anything to say about D.W. Griffith, the man?
3: Uh, no, I mean, yeah, you you laid it out very well. I mean, as we're going to get into his contribution to film is staggering. So, but yeah.
0: Yep. Okay. Let's get into birth of a nation. Um, birth of a nation is a 1915 american silent epic drama film clocking in at a whopping 190 minutes
3: Ooh, this is a long one
0: yes however it is only 16 frames a second so it's not quite the 190 minutes we know like it's weird it's real weird oh um but (laughs) it is one of the first feature-length films uh made in america it's the first 12 real film ever made in america and it was actually presented in two parts separated by an intermission
2: wow Um,
0: the first part deals with the civil war and the second part deals with reconstruction Um, reconstruction is when the kkk stuff gets really heavy but the first part is the the movie is kind of this epic about two families um one in the north who are abolitionists and one in the south who are slave drivers, um, and just sort of their stories, uh, intertwining with each other through the civil war and then through the reconstruction era. So the first part actually ends with, um, Lincoln being assassinated and the fallout from that, and then it gets into the reconstruction era and that's the second part of the movie. So that's, that's kind of the split. of of the movie um i don't want to talk too much about the plot necessarily outside of that because one i haven't seen the movie yet Mm -hmm. and uh two it i mean you should probably just watch the movie (laughs) (laughs) so why even do this uh you know yes
3: that's there, the question. There,
0: there are plenty of movies on the National Film Registry. There are plenty of epics on the National Film Registry. There are plenty of epics in general. There are plenty of movies about the two fates of, of you know, star-crossed families. And I'm sure there's going to be some sort of a romantic subplot because Romeo and Juliet. And, yep. you know, it, there there are so many versions of this story. Why tell this one or why even talk about this one in 2016 almost a hundred years later, over a hundred years later. Mm -hmm. And especially with, uh, you know, subject matter that's so vile, um, you know, with, with, with a message that's so pro white supremacy and anti, uh, people of color. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the reason is because without this movie not necessarily without this movie, but this movie was the first American production uh, to feature close-ups, fade-outs, and a big battle sequence with hundreds of extras that they made look like thousands. Um, I don't know if you've seen how they film, you know, these sort of, uh, these these movies that have casts of thousands. They actually film them in chunks and then stitch them all together. Mm-hmm. And they just have hundreds of people that they film in sections and then they splice that all together and make it look like thousands of people are there. This movie did that. Wow. Uh, yeah it is ranked number 44 mm-hmm. on the top 100 american films by the american film institute as a result actually uh and it's it's in the public domain so you can probably find it on youtube the version we're going to be watching is on amazon prime uh mm-hmm. they are kind of our go-to source for all these silent movies that we've been finding uh we're talking about also it was the first movie to have a fully orchestrated score Wow. usually movies would have music cue sheets for organ or piano um but or musical cue sheets or uh, not as commonly of full scores that were written for the organ or piano but uh joseph carl braille created a three hour long score that combined three types of music that were used at the time adaptations of existing work new arrangements of well-known melodies, and original composed music. Uh, he composed them specifically for the film. But when the movie premiered in Los Angeles, a score compiled by Carly Eleanor was performed instead, and that score <laughs> was used exclusively on the West Coast. Oh. Yep. Uh, Braille's score, which was commissioned for the movie itself, didn't get used until it premiered in New York at the Liberty Theater. Um, and it was the score utilized everywhere else in the country just not on the west coast. I can't tell you why, but it was.
3: That's strange.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh how is this all received? Poorly. Yes. <laughs> um the NAACP hosted protests uh at premieres of the film in a bunch of cities. David Copeland, a historian, said by the time the movie's premiere in New York City, its subject matter had embroiled the film in charges of racism, protests, and calls for censorship, which began after the Los Angeles branch of the NAACP requested the city's film board ban the movie. Wow. Uh, But because film boards were comprised mainly of white people, very few boards actually banned the
3: movie. It was banned in a lot of major cities, right? Like actually showing it? Eventually. Eventually. Eventually,
0: but not really in the first run. Uh, It was too much of a phenomenon, really. Mm -hmm. When the film was released, riots broke out in Boston, Philadelphia, and other major cities. The film was actually a catalyst for gangs of whites to attack blacks. Gangs of whites that were not even associated with the KKK at the time were attacking black people. Um, In 1916, a a white man murdered a black teenager in Lafayette, Indiana, after he saw the movie. Wow. Wow. The mayor, which actually uh, the mayor of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, banned the movie, and he was he was the first of twelve to ban it in 1915, uh, the year it came out, saying that it would promote prejudice, and uh, he met with a delegation of black citizens, so he didn't he didn't do it. Mm-hmm, so this movie actually is the first movie that was screened in the White House It was screened for Woodrow Wilson at the White House because the guy who wrote the book that this was based on the Klansman Thomas Dixon jr Was a classmate of Woodrow Wilson's when they were at Johns Hopkins Oh, wow, and So he got in contact with Woodrow Wilson and uh, Got them to screen the movie at the White House Wow There was a there was a statement that was issued by Wilson that actually ended up being uh, false. But after the controversy of the film got to like a fever pitch, Wilson said that he disapproved of the, quote, unfortunate production. Griffith was mad that there was negative critical reception, and he wrote letters to newspapers and published a pamphlet in which he accused critics of of censoring an unpopular opinion.
3: Ugh! Wow. So basically this movie caused, um, you know, like chaos and disruption in like every sector yes. of everything.
0: <laughs> yes. In the ni- the later part of the 1910s into the 1920s, the KKK saw an influx that began in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which uh, if you are a 30 Rock fan, you'll know that is where Kenneth Allen Parcell is from. And it's also where rapper and comedian Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, is from. Oh. Yep, but in uh in that era, uh it was the film's release was considered one of the events that inspired the formation of the second era of the KKK in Stone Mountain. Um in the same year, birth of a nation along with the trial and lynching of Leo Frank for a 1913 murder in Atlanta was used as a recruiting tool for the KKK. And the KKK used the film as a recruiting tool up through
3: the 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh. Oh, man.
0: Yep. So, once again, I know the question on
3: your mind is... <laughs> why are why, we
0: talking about why this even? Move? Why even do this? So, why even do this? Why even do this? Mm-hmm. It did pioneer all these things, but... To the point that so many people built on it over the years that, uh, I think it was Roger Ebert said that the movie was obsolete before it was even out of theaters because how, like, people just took these techniques and ran with it. However, I do think it's important to know where this all started, and unfortunately it started here. Here,
2: yeah.
0: Um, You know, uh, uh. Oh, no. Kevin Brownlow. I'm sorry. Kevin Brownlow uh, said that it was astounding in its time and initiated so many advances in filmmaking technique that it was rendered obsolete within a few years. Um, You know, the content has been widespread uh, criticism, has had widespread criticism for being crazy racist. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And Roger Ebert actually said that, Certainly, The Birth of a Nation presents a challenge for modern audiences. Unaccustomed to silent films and uninterested in film history, they might find it quaint and not to their taste. Those viewers who are evolved enough to understand what they're looking at find the early and wartime scenes to be brilliant, but cringe during the post-war and reconstruction scenes, which are racist in the ham-handed way of an old minstrel show or a vile comic pamphlet. Uh mary pickford said birth of a nation was the first picture that really made people take the motion picture industry seriously i agree with that Mm -hmm. but the way in which it had the way in which it forced society's hand to take the motion picture industry seriously is incredibly tragic yes um you know we they had to take it seriously because it was affecting the world seriously uh, you know, it saw the resurgence of the KKK. It saw the resurgence, uh, you know, I mean, not the resurgence, but it saw race riots and murders in the name of this movie. Um, you know, it was it was reacted to very seriously. So from a purely technical standpoint of the first film with a full original score, the first film to feature close-ups, fade-outs, um, and big battle sequences, yes, we need to see it. From a societal perspective, I think it's important to visit this movie to know where we came from to, you know, not to flog ourselves for mistakes of the past, but to know what it was like and to know how not to repeat those same mistakes.
3: Yeah, I I totally agree.
0: Um, It was the highest grossing film of all time until 1939 when Gone with the Wind came out um, and was selected for the National Film Registry in 1992. Um, And when it was selected for the, 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 the Library of Congress National Film Registry, Roger Ebert said, The Birth of a Nation is not a bad film because it argues for evil. Like Triumph of the Will, it is a great film that argues for evil. To understand how it does so is to learn a great deal about film and even something about evil. I know this isn't a movie that was released in the era of Rotten Tomatoes, but yeah. Rotten, to, Rotten Tomatoes does have actually kind of an extensive back catalog where they pull in all kinds of of, uh, of critic criticism over the years. The those are actually kind of more interesting because you get they also pull in the the reviews of the time period in which it was released, as well as kind oh. of modern audiences or mm-hmm. modern critics and like the if they've done a review on their website, what it is birth of a nation's at 100 percent on rock wow wow because it's on a technical level really impressive
3: yeah and i mean if it was the the first motion picture to kind of pioneer all these things that is in everything else that we watch you know like of course, it's like a technical masterpiece, even if the content is so vile.
0: Yeah, um, so where, where I'm at with this movie. Uh, so before we get into that, we're watching mm. this because in a couple of weeks, uh, a new version, quote version, a new movie that has the same title is coming out. The movie is about Nat Turner, who was a slave that read a, uh, led a slave rebellion to uh against white people um that he actually uh as a result like 50 to 65 white people ended up getting killed at the hands of nat turner and his group of slaves that he rebelled against um that's the the new birth of a nation the 2016 birth of a nation that's nat turner's story he was eventually captured and executed by it uh it's directed written directed produced by and stars a guy named uh nate 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 parker
3: yeah yes nate parker
0: oh (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nate Parker is proving to be a pretty controversial guy in his own time. Yes. In that he was accused of rape in the late 90s. And the results of that trial are dubious at best. Yes. Uh, as from from what I can devise from, from the, the articles I've read about it. And the way he's responding to these questions on his media tour are also dubious at best. Yeah. Um, he's not handling it. He, he's accused of a lot of dodging the question, saying that, well, you need to separate the art from the artist, which sounds like someone who's guilty. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting the way history is a little bit repeating itself yeah. uh, in a different way. Mm -hmm. you know with a controversial guy helming a movie of the same name yes uh so i i mean i mean i don't have anything else to say about the new birth of an asian movie uh i'll probably see it but i am very fascinated at the the kind of similarity of of the the uh controversial nature of of its creators
3: Yeah, that's kind of it's just uncanny a little bit. You know, you're like, oh, okay. well, you're controversial for a different reason.
0: Yeah. And it's arguably a reason that's more at the forefront of the public consciousness uh, now, you know, like racism is still a a conversation that is being had. Yes. And, you know, I think in the last two, three years, it's been more and more. But I Mm -hmm. think before that and even now, like sexual abuse and, and sexual crime and that kind of stuff, that's come to the forefront more so yeah you know, that's in the sort of racism of our time until now when that's kind of everything yeah. but um you know it, it's just fascinating how the major hot button issues of their respective eras are the things they are known for yes um yeah it's just it's that that is endlessly fascinating to me but as far as what i expect out of birth of a nation it's a hard movie to say that i think i'll like you know what i mean mm-hmm. um, yeah it's even a little bit hard to say that I'm going to respect it, but I think I will. Like it's a movie that I think I'll get and I'll understand its importance. I'll understand it's significance. I'll even probably argue, uh, you know, that it does deserve the place that it's had. But at the same time, you have to like, in order to be a person whose opinion I care about and feel viable, uh, feel is viable. You have to denounce the subject matter of this movie.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, you know it's it's i'm kind- i've never seen a movie that is in support of such a vile thing, and i don't know how i'm gonna respond to it
3: yeah i'm a little bit worried <laughs> about watching that because I feel along the same lines we we talk about all the technical stuff that this movie is you know has given to us in you know the art of like cinematography and all that stuff but yeah watching this type of subject matter is going to be really difficult for me yeah i mean Corey, like
0: something we don't talk about uh, mm-hmm. on the show is you're black
3: yeah that's true
0: so and you're from the south right is kansas considered the south
3: <laughs> it's like midwest midwest okay yeah. but it's
0: south adjacent isn't it or no do i'm really bad at united states geography
3: it, it you have to go a little bit a little bit like further south, but yeah, it, I mean it's not like too far away, but yeah, still Midwest. Okay. So yeah, watching watching this film will be um, somewhat difficult for me in terms of like the subject matter, but you know, like, like we've discussed so much, I just think this film. Is so important for so many reasons, not just the technical stuff, but just like you were talking about earlier, just knowing like where we have come from, you know, like yeah. looking back and seeing, you know, like this is this is what history was. And it's not like to put like blame or lay blame on anybody and, you know, like or just for us to feel guilty or angry about it or anything, but just to see like, you know, that was a different time and like, you know, our thinking has radically shifted and you know just to basically like denounce that idea of thought is like it was evil and so in that way uh watching this film is going to be very difficult for me
0: yeah yeah i mean and you know once again like you're black and so you potentially i don't know how much of your family history you know but like there are certainly people in your Bloodline that were alive to see the fallout of this movie and potentially be on the receiving end of the super negative impact that it had.
3: Yeah, I mean that is a uh, like my dad's family. They're from the south. They're from South Carolina. So oh, yeah. you go back a couple generations. You know they were sharecroppers, and you know I imagine before that slaves. So yeah, I mean like there could have been, uh, you know, realistic implications uh, like fallout from this film. And so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting and difficult to watch this film.
0: Yeah, um, I don't I'm not a big proponent of watching a movie in chunks, but I think I might have to. Uh, yeah, man, this is it's it's, it's, it's the, the other thing is it's so long. Yeah, that it's, uh, it's it's so it's so much of that evil thing, you know? Yeah.
3: Uh, and that and that's what I think that's what's going to be really difficult yeah. about like this this whole thing but i mean and and something that you know like we haven't really touched on it i mean you kind of mentioned a little bit but this movie was significant for all the technical reasons for all the other stuff but it was also very significant in terms of like how it made people in the world deal with like the medium of film like the power that film can have to impact the real world yeah you know because yeah. a lot of times you know we you you look at art or some people look at art and they're just like, oh yeah like that's that's fun or that looks nice but you know whenever an artist creates it's like there's some message that goes into the art that they're creating and you know like whether or not there's a the whole argument of like artists make art for themselves or you know there's a lot of different schools of thoughts but regardless where you stand on that, all art you know it carries some sort of message. Even if even if that message some artists would argue is no message, it carries some sort of message. And so this was the first motion picture, the first really like hard hitting like film that made people have to reckon with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the the idea of the artist behind it. I mean, Griffith was the son of a Confederate soldier. Mm hmm he had those views instilled in him yeah you know uh you know he he had a direct line to that you know um he wasn't necessarily alive in the time of slavery i don't remember what year he was born but he was alive for the reconstruction of it uh Mm -hmm. the post-war reconstruction and you know he he grew up in that and he clearly had some issues with the way it happened. Uh, namely that black people were on the road to being treated as equals.
3: Yep. Um, and responded
0: in, in this way.
3: Yeah. And, and so I think this is one of the other reasons why this film is so important because I really feel like it helped establish to people at like at large, like the general population that like film has the power to influence and you know mm-hmm. you'd see it way later you know i don't know if we'll get to that this in like film history you know in the next couple of months but just even like you know like propaganda pieces and stuff in world yeah. war ii yeah you know? triumph
0: of the will is a movie that i want to do and it's a documentary about uh the nuremberg speeches that hitler gave and why they were good for germany
3: yeah and all of that is tied up with like the power of like film to convey those messages. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things that I really love about films, about storytelling. And like, even in this instance where the subject matter is very vile and it's going to be very difficult for me to sit and watch it. But it's just again, for me to be reminded that like film is this, this kind of like window into, you know, whether it's like a fictional world or a fictional situation or, you know, it's like, Um, it's kind of, it's a real, you know, it's like nonfiction or it's like historical fiction or whatever. It's like a window into these different world and these different scenarios where sometimes like I've never experienced anything close to that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have, or sometimes it's just like something, there is no way for me to ever fathom that. And so to be like dropped in the situation, you know, whether that be like, you know, 40, 40, 50 years ago, um, you know, maybe during something like the Cold War, I'm thinking of, like, Bridge of Spies, like, watching that unfold and seeing, like, you know, what was the the climate of the world? Or what was, yeah. like, you know, how would I have been processing those things? That's something that film brings to us that I feel like, in a way, no other medium can really do that.
0: Yeah, because you get to process it in real time.
3: Yeah. And you, so, you, you know... You get to look into
0: the lives of those people in those eras, and you get to immediately see and feel and try to reckon with and understand and cope with what they're going through or their situation or or whatever but in the context of their time period and it is oftentimes writ large you know it's big it's it's big it towers over you and you have to deal with it
3: yeah and especially films that are you know like more historical fiction or even like there's a lot of truth in them, but there's obviously a narrative. So like another, you know, something else kind of along the same lines, like, you know, to kill a mockingbird, yeah. you know, a film like that where you're really put right in the heart of that whole thing. And you just you see the world um, and just kind of like the time period and just able to take it in. It's just like, how do I feel about all these things? You know, it's like would I line up more with, like how Atticus feels about things or you know like what do i think about the justice system or just all that type of stuff and i think film is amazing in the way that it can capture us and take us to those places
0: yep yeah i agree um yeah uh Corey, do, you, do you have any other thoughts on on birth of a nation i'm sure we <laughs> could make a separate podcast out of this this set of episodes but
3: yeah i'm, I'm sure we could uh birth of a Nation cast. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um no, I mean, I think we we touched a little bit on a lot of the major reasons why we're talking about this film and why it's important. And even um, I think you mentioned it on maybe some some previous film school at some point, just as like an aside. The person who nominated this film was a black director, right? Yeah, John Singleton. And You know, regardless of all the pain and, you know, as a person of color that I could attribute to like what this film did in terms of we've mentioned, you know, probably influenced a lot of people to kill black people and all these riots and other things. Even someone like this director was able to acknowledge like, you know, this film had so much significance in so many ways that, you know, regardless of like him ethnically he was just like i have to attest to the fact that this film you know is it it had a huge impact like you know so few films do
0: yeah well and you know the thing is he recognizes that it was a cause of a lot of pain for a lot of people that potentially in his bloodline are close to it Mm mm-hmm But at the same time, without this movie, he isn't a filmmaker or he isn't a filmmaker in the same way. And so it's, you know, it's this interesting nexus of like, it's an essential piece of cinema because of what it did. But it's so it's so evil um, because of what it purported.
3: Yeah. But it's like you were saying, because this came out and, you know, it's like if you're if you guys listening, if you're history buffs at all, um, this came out. 1915 and so you go a couple years further down the road So like 1920s and stuff and then obviously the 30s the stock market crash but in the creative sphere of things um, like 1920s to like the 30s and onward was kind of this period called like the Harlem Renaissance mm-hmm. in New York mm-hmm. and so a lot of those uh, creatives, you know, like people who would you know be like African-American creatives or, you know, in different fields, you know, like writers and poets, I'm kind of thinking, musicians. Yeah. A lot of their response, some of the stuff that you read, some of the art that was created in that time period is a response to kind of like the message of this film. Yeah. And it like pushed a lot of them to, you know, to kind of be like, you know, we want our voices represented too. And so in that way, like this film i mean it's evil and the yeah. message is evil but it led to kind of you know some of these other people wanting to come up with me like here are our voices you know here's the stories we want to tell you know like our side of the whole you know narrative
0: yeah that's uh wow that is actually really fascinating so. I yeah i I would not have put two and two together on that man yeah that's really good um yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you've said. I think, like I said, this could be a whole episode in and of itself. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it very well could be. Um, I, I mean, we'll see how it comes out, shakes out in the edit. but Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm going to have to wrestle with this one. There's a reason why we give two-week breaks, and that's so that both we can watch them in. But, you know, listeners, I, if you don't watch this one, I get it. Yep. I totally get it. Uh, I really wish you would, but if you don't, I totally understand.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: both, I mean, even just for the time commitment, I totally get it. But, you know, and even if beyond that, it's not, you know, we're not watching the movie as uh, in support of its stance. We're watching the movie
2: nope.
0: in support of history, uh, yep. you know, in and, and support of acknowledging that this happened, in support yeah. of... Acknowledging that whether or not it should have or not it did, yep. Um, and and so now it's it's on us, those of us in the future from that era, to deal with the fact that it did. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's. I mean, Corey, I want to thank you for not wanting to shy away from from that.
3: Yeah, <laughs> uh, because
0: I think I think it, it would be easy to, and I think you know it's hard to fault you if you were like, I'm not doing that movie. <laughs> Um, But I think, I think, especially in conjunction with the new version or the new, the new movie, I don't even want to say the new version. I keep trying, I keep trying not to, and then I do. But with the new movie sharing the title, which is about, you know, so the opposite of what this movie is, um, I think, I think it's really important. And I think honestly, without a proper contextualization of this 1915 version of birth of a nation,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the 2016 birth of a nation may not resonate quite the same right way.
3: Yeah. I feel like there's something, you know, the title, it just invokes, you know, a history, mm-hmm. a knowledge an understanding of, you know, why it chose the title of this movie from 1915, you know? Yeah. There, there's, there's some kind of, you know, forethought that goes into like why they decided to call it that. Oh, so. it is
0: so intentional, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they they are meant to invoke the, the idea of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it comes out next uh, in the next two weeks. Like I said, the movie's available on Amazon Prime. hmm Um, I don't know anything about the version that's on Amazon Prime, but I know it's on there. Uh, you can probably find it at your local library. Um, if if you want to see, like, a Blu-ray copy or or something like that. Um, you know, it's been restored a bunch. It is also in the public domain, so it's likely on YouTube.
3: Probably. Um, because,
0: because it's free, um, you know. You can find it probably pretty, pretty easily because of the public domain nature of it. The problem with public domain is, is hit or miss as far as the cuts you get and the scores that are in them. You know, anyone can do whatever they want with the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... You know, the one on Amazon Prime, I've confirmed, is the same length. It's the 190-minute version, so that one is probably the one you should go with. If you don't have access, like I said, probably the library is your best bet. But if you mm-hmm. want to try to find somewhere else, you're more than welcome to. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks to talk about Birth of a Nation from 1915. Yes. And for something completely different, we're going to go back to myself and Ryan <laughs> talking about Magnificent Seven. Yes. back i hope you enjoyed that relatively somber before and after show film school um, especially in light of what uh, ryan and i are getting to talk about Mm -hmm. um we're here to talk about the magnificent seven
2: yes Uh,
0: the 2016 version of the magnificent seven not the 70s version of the magnificent seven a little bit of background uh the magnificent seven is a reinterpretation of akira kurosawa's samurai movie seven samurai um obviously Cowboys are very much considered uh, the samurai of American history or American myth. Um, and so a a reinterpretation of that kind of makes a lot of sense. Mm. Magnificent 7 2016 is a remake of Magnificent 7 1970-something, uh, which is a remake of the 50s Seven Samurai. And uh, beget, beget, beget. Yeah. And here we are. Uh, so it's basically the setup is... A group of outlaws have overtaken a town and these seven men try to force them out of town. Mm-hmm. And each of these seven men has like a particular stake in the game. They have—they all have skin in the game. And they want them out of town for reasons which are basically, as far as I'm concerned, boil down to, you're causing all kind of trouble in my home. Leave, please.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but they're led by uh, this character played by Denzel Washington. He sort of is the catalyst for uh, getting this group of people together. The movie also stars Chris Pratt, Vincent D'Onofrio, Ethan Hawke. Yeah,
1: Ethan Hawke.
0: Peter Sarsgaard plays the lead of the Band of Outlaws. uh, Mm -hmm. And I just learned that. It's directed by Antoine Fuqua, who directed Training Day. Um, And most recently, The Equalizer... Also starring Denzel. Him and Denzel work a lot together. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do, you, what do you think about Magnificent
1: Seven 2016, Ryan? I am super excited for this movie. Um, I have never seen the original. I've heard about it. Uh, and I've never seen the uh, the uh, story it's based on, The Seven Samurai. But it is intriguing to me. I'm a big fan of these types of movies where we've got a few versus many. Oh, There's okay. something very enduring about that. That's why I love 300. Um, not just the movie, but just like the the story, that, the historical account of that. Um, there's just something real kind of ballsy, for lack of mm. a phrase. You know, very few men having the guts to stand up to a, an entire army. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's just fascinating to me. It just uh, looks like it'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm super excited for this one. I love Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. and I like Chris Pratt, and pretty much every actor on here I really, really like. Um, I think it'll be a good if it's done right, which we have to see it to find out. um, I think it'll be a good some good character if they do it right, good character pieces in there In yeah. in between like all the anxiety of we've got to fight off an army um and it'll be interesting to see each man's point of view because in the original, I don't think each man had a particular set of skills. I think they were all just cowpokes, they all just kind of mm. lined mm-hmm. up here. Where in this interpretation, each man, like Denzel's like the assassin. Uh, Chris Pratt is like the gambler, kind of jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, Chris uh, Hawk? Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk. He's the sniper. uh, They have a Native
0: American guy who's like a bow and arrow dude. Yeah. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio. He's like...
1: The trapper guy? Yeah, he's like a
0: trapper guy, but also he just seems like a straight-up psycho. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He's just like Axe and Fools. He's just like Axe and Fools and using Gatling guns. Like, that's basically all I know about
1: his character. And that's all I want him to do. (laughs) Yep. Uh, And then they got the Mexican. I don't remember his name. Uh, Who else am I forgetting? I don't even remember. There's seven Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But they all are coming at this situation with a unique perspective. And I find that fascinating, and I really like the kind of from the based on the trailers, they're kind of playing up, you know, Denzel Washington. He's you know an assassin, and he's kind of it seems like he's searching for redemption in this, taking this job for this woman who's lost her family. That's why all these men are kind of getting together. So it seems like it'll be fun. It seems like it'll be if done right, uh, interesting character piece. Um, and I have I have up a, a lot of confidence in the actors that they've chosen for each part like none of these actors uh seem like crap choices like they all seem like they fit the roles that they've got um so i'm super stoked for it so how about you
0: yeah um i think before we even get into that uh can we just appreciate denzel washington for a minute because i feel like that (sighs) dude puts in work always yeah and never gets enough credit even though people love him like mm-hmm. I, I feel like he, people really like that guy but i feel like he never gets recognized enough
1: not really he's been kind of pushed to the margins now he's i think he doesn't uh, you know we were talking about tom hanks last week and he's yeah. like american american's older brother you know american yeah. sweetheart you know everyone loves him dah, 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 dah. and i think denzel he doesn't quite have that not that not that he doesn't have it, but he's not regarded as that. Yeah. But he's so freaking good. Yeah. But he's almost like he's so amazing, but he's kind of pushed off to the margins. Where it's like, oh Denzel, always oh, good. You know, it's just kind and of a passing thought instead of a, oh, let me talk about Denzel yeah. for three and a half hours.
0: And then you see him and you're like Man, This yeah. guy's amazing, actually.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite Denzel movies, uh, Book of Eli.
0: Oh, gosh. That movie's great.
1: Oh, so amazing.
0: He's so good in that movie.
1: Yeah.
0: He's so great in that movie. He's such a good actor, man. Um, you know, he kind of has this, like, a little bit pissed off old uncle vibe that I love. Yeah. that's He's, like, really settled into that where he's just always trying to whip a bunch of youngins into shape. And, mm-hmm. like, he's so good at it. Uh you know I don't know if you saw the movie Unstoppable.
1: No, I missed it. The that runaway one. train one with Chris Pine. I don't know, I did see that one.
0: I like that movie That's a, a lot. That's a really
1: good one.
0: Um the, and the, he he did a bunch of work with Tony Scott, arguably his best movie with Tony Scott Man on Fire, mm. um which is a great movie that is a really and good he's movie. so
1: good in it. Um the yeah. scene where he has to cut the not has to but he cuts the guy's fingers off mm-hmm. holding the steering wheel. Whew. Still yeah. creeps me out
0: yeah oh gosh man denzel rules like yeah. it, honestly i'm i'm excited to see this movie because denzel is
1: gonna be good in it yeah. i can't think of a performance of his i haven't like you know what's good about him he's he can be a, he's an amazing action star mm-hmm. but he's an action star with personality mm-hmm. and he can convey that so he's while well, he's a badass killing guys left and right doing all the kind of really cool actiony stuff you buy it because mm-hmm. you buy the character like he convincingly does it as opposed to like is uh, it Jason Stamos Statham Statham pardon me Stamos is the other guy from Full house John Stamos John... <laughs> hey yeah have mercy have mercy um Jason Statham really good at action star Kind of boring, boring. <laughs> kind of boring as an actor like yeah. I think he's a cool guy like I, I like watching him in certain things but doesn't pull the acting side of it off as well whereas Denzel does both very well.
0: Which leads me to this question. Do you think Denzel doesn't get his due diligence because he's a little in the shadow of Will Smith?
1: That is a very good question. I mean... Because they're kind of the
0: same. Like, super charismatic black action star.
1: Yeah, whereas... uh, I
0: don't know. Yeah, uh, that's something that's always kind of fascinated me about him. He plays arguably more complex characters than Will Smith does. Yes um you know i think i think denzel can bring a sort of weight to his roles that will smith can't and that might have something to do with it i think there's a little bit more gravitas mm-hmm. to it there's not as much as much as i love will smith denzel isn't as easily accessible even though people love him like mm. every once in a while he's in a movie like he's in like a spike lee movie or he's playing malcolm x you know the closest will smith ever did that was playing muhammad ali in a lukewarmly received movie yeah. denzel's performances malcolm x like got him a lot of attention mm. um you know I, and also i can't like he's perfect in training day he's so good in that movie and I, like put will smith in training day and like that corrupt cop doesn't play like he doesn't have any dramatic weight behind him because it's just will smith
1: yeah
0: you know um so I think I think that might have something. There's just always been sort of a disconnect
2: mm.
0: between it, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for Denzel specifically in this movie. There are some other actors in this movie that I really like. and we will get to that in a minute. The other thing I wanted to talk about is just the western itself. Um, the western was the Marvel movie of its day. Yeah, and um, die it died out. Yep, uh, the western was the predominant movie genre from basically the birth of movies the first american narrative movie was the great train robbery which was a cops and robbers movie Mm -hmm. um and it reigned supreme up through the 30s and arguably into the 50s Mm -hmm. um and and then died out and you know Spielberg actually caught some heat by saying that comic book movies are the new westerns and they're gonna die someday and a bunch of entitled nerds were like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and it's like you shut up he's the greatest director of all time he's been around you know he knows exactly what he's talking about and he's right yeah um and so so you know eventually that's all he was saying is like eventually the comic book movie is gonna go the way of the western and like maybe the western will come back but i think every few years someone tries to make a new western Mm -hmm. um and i think we've kind of seen a rise in it because I think there are more contemporary westerns being made. Heller Highwater is a western? Yeah. It's not a traditional western, but it's a western. It's yeah. through and through a western. No Country for Old Men is a western.
2: Raising Arizona
0: starring Nicolas Cage is a western. Hmm. They're all very contemporary. So the western tropes and conventions have made their way into these. They've just kind of mutated over the years. And those tend to be the more successful Westerns. Uh, You know, Howard Highwater is getting a lot of good reviews. I don't know how it's doing money-wise. No Country for Old Men, cleaned up at the Oscars, made a bunch of money, Raising Arizona, Super well respected. Um, But then every so often comes a movie like a 310 to Yuma from 2007 starring Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. I love that movie. I love that movie so much. I can't really... It's a very traditional Western, though. It's actually a remake of a very traditional Western by John Ford. Yeah. Not a lot of people I know have seen it. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, one of my favorite movies, like, one of my top five favorite movies of all time as a Western is Tombstone.
1: I'm here, Huckleberry. That
0: movie's so great. Yeah. movie's so great. It's arguably not a Western in the sense that it's more of an action movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It... It, it does deal like it is set in the old west but it is very uh i mean it's from the guy who directed the first rambo movie so um it's gonna
1: be a bit more on that side
0: sorry the second rambo movie i think just kidding uh not the first oh,
1: Rambo movie that
0: one george picasamos yeah uh so you know as much as i love that movie it's not the traditionalist uh western um whereas something like 310 to you or you know stagecoach from the 30s john ford movie yeah and even Hateful Eight kind of underperformed for a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. Uh, it's a kind of a traditionalist Western, uh, as traditionalist as Quentin Tarantino can be, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a hard climate to make a Western in. Mm. But I always respect it when they do. Mm. Um, I always try to go see Westerns. Uh, there are a few over the years that I haven't seen. Slow West is one that I never got to, mainly because. The title suggests that I'm in for a little bit of a commitment. Yeah. (laughs) Meek's Cutoff is another one, a Canadian Western. Um, The Proposition, did I make you watch that? I think I made you watch that one
1: with Guy Pearce. I watched it on my own a while back. That's an interesting movie. It's an Australian Western. Yeah.
0: It's really good. I love that movie. There's
1: another Australian Western that just came out. It's like, um, what's it called? It's made by the producers of Lord of the Rings uh it's like dirt it, it's it this isn't the title but something along the lines of dirty filthy or something like that hmm. or um it makes it sound like a porno yeah it's not that uh worthless oh who's <laughs> in that uh bunch of no names okay bunch of bunch of uh i think kiwis okay oh yeah uh, new zealanders tara reeds in it mm. nope this is not the same movie not the same movie nope <laughs>
0: Just kidding. Anyway, uh, yeah. uh, uh, Do you have a favorite Western, Ryan?
1: Um, Do I have a favorite Western? Yeah. Actually, I have to look up the title of it. Uh, It was a movie directed by Kevin Costner and uh, Robert Duvall. Open Range. Open Range. Thank you. Yeah. That is probably one of my favorites um, of the more new age, not new age, but newer Westerns. Um, That is a very slow moving movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's dang near three hours. Yeah, it, it goes at a slow pace, but I love the story. I like the characters in it. um That's 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 up there with one of my favorites. Pretty much anything Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love. Yeah,
0: we just talked about Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Outlaw josey Wales, All, uh, the Jesse Man with the Wales. Name trilogy.
1: Um, what was the other one that he's done? Pale Rider. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Unforgiven. Um, Unforgiven. All those. Those yeah. are those are up there with some of my favorites
0: yeah i really like i mean tombstone obviously we've already talked about um man i love that movie Mm -hmm. i might have to give that a watch this week uh it's been a minute um (laughs) open range has some of my favorite sound design i've ever heard in a movie yeah real loud guns real loud guns yeah Uh, make you
1: feel the impact
0: yeah um oh gosh true grit man
1: oh yeah Wait, the original John Wayne or the newer version? The new one. The new I one.
0: really like the new one. I saw the new one before I saw the old one. Oh, and the okay. old one's good. Yeah. But man, is that new one great.
1: Yeah. I love the new one. Like, that's that's one I actually own. But the old one will always have a special place in my heart, because mm-hmm. that's my dad's favorite movie. Oh, okay. And so that's the one I can sit down and watch with him. And John Wayne. Anything with John Wayne, actually. Yeah.
0: Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Actually, I'm changing my answer. That might be my favorite Western of all yeah. time. Even though, like, Tombstone is one of my favorite movies of all time. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance with John Wayne and Jim Stewart. Oh, Mm -hmm. man, it's so good.
1: Yeah. Did you ever see his kind of more comedy Western, North to Alaska? No. That's really... If you want to see John Wayne acting very strange, that's a good one to watch.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so the Western has a very storied history in American cinema. Um, And especially, like, this type of Western that's drawn from a very foreign concept quote unquote you know it's drawn from a foreign movie it's essentially an american remake of a foreign film it's this kind of interesting um east meets west version of storytelling that like it's like the even though we have our differences the like we're actually kind of the same you know the the stories of cowboys that we identify in our westerns are very much like the samurai yeah like very much these sort of lone ranger the lone ranger yeah
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> end of argument that was totally planned yep um you know the, like those guys like yeah. the, the lone kind of warrior
1: the, whereas you know the lone ranger in america you've got the ronin yeah in exactly samurai culture that's exactly. very much a borrowing kind of thing the lone guy out to right, right wrongs. And I would argue you can also find that archetype in, like, the Mad Max movies. Yeah, or the, Batman. Or Batman, you know, that, that, that theme kind of carries over. Yeah. Because um, it's it's fascinating, it's really interesting, and I feel like the, saying the word fun is probably not apropos for it, but it's a fun concept.
0: Yeah, know? I mean, the, the, the idea of someone who doesn't need anyone is very foreign to most people. Yeah. Um, because people need people. Yeah. Um, like intrinsically, like it's just part of who we are. Like we need community. yeah, um, and you know, we need other human connection. And so the idea of someone who exists outside of this and is okay is really fascinating to us, but can only exist in the movies.
1: yeah. Um, well, it's fascinating, I think, for two reasons. First, um because it goes against what you're talking about, goes against culture. like we need people. But also men like that, in those kind of stories need to exist because you need to you need to have a guy who doesn't care what happens to him. He's got nothing to lose. Therefore, he's all the more dangerous. Yeah. And to face the the insurmountable odds that the hero has to go through, it just makes him more of a menace. To the searchers, man. Fighting.
0: Yeah. That's exactly the searchers. That's the whole, the whole first and last shot of the movie is that shot where it's framed through the door and you see the outside open world and you see the lone gunman come up to the door and he's not quite allowed inside. Mm-hmm. And he goes on this adventure to rescue... The, um, the daughter of this family, from the Native Americans, or as the movie probably puts it, engines mm. <laughs> um to go and rescue them from rescue her from that, and you know they bring her back, and then he's still not allowed in the house. he still doesn't have a place, yeah. but it's so different. It's not that he doesn't have a place because he's chosen that lifestyle mm-hmm. it's that he doesn't have a place because the world has moved on yeah. from needing that man,
1: yeah. That reminds me of... Uh, Patton. Well, Patton, yes. But um, the novel of I Am Legend,
2: mm.
1: not, the, not the Will Smith, right, but the right. actual original, um, that's the whole point mm. of the of the book as the world has moved on and he, the guy had become legend. He had become uh, what was feared by everybody. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, great, great, great novel. Um, I'm looking up a movie that I think perfectly captured what you're talking about. It's Jeffrey Rush in it. I'm trying to remember what it's called. The Warrior's Way. Did you ever see that movie? <laughs> uh,
0: I think I saw that with you in theaters, and that's the only reason I saw it, is because you wanted to see it. That, oh,
1: yeah, I'm taking it you're not a fan. It was goofy. Yeah.
0: I don't really have an opinion on it either way. I barely remember that movie.
1: Yeah. That one, I liked that. I, I like the movie a lot, but uh, that was that character, the main guy, mm-hmm. was that similar thing. Like, yeah. You couldn't have anyone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and so with Magnificent Seven, it's this group of these kind of disparate men coming together to realize they need community. Yeah. And they, the, you know, there's strength in those numbers. There's strength in the seven.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, and I think not to get, a you know, too conspiratorial numerology guy, but like seven's the magic number, you know? Like seven is... is
1: the number what? of completion.
0: Yeah, the number of completion. Exactly. You know, there's a reason why... Kurosawa decided on 7 samurai. Yeah. Seven lone warriors coming together to defend this town. Um so all that to be said, uh headed into this movie, I'm actually really kind of fascinated and maybe maybe I'm having the wrong expectations from the remake. Maybe these are all expectations I should have for the original one. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how thematically dense it's going to be with all this stuff. I keep hearing that it's really fun. I don't necessarily think that's uh untrue based on what I've seen. There's some things that give me some trepidation. Uh there's a thing that gives me some trepidation and that is Chris Pratt's presence. Mm. Uh we talked about this off mic a little bit. Chris Pratt seems like a perfectly nice man. <laughs> I really want to punch Chris Pratt in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you why. I, I I really like. Maybe it's a problem with me. Uh, well, could it
1: be like we we talked about this before? But could it be your experience with him in Jurassic Park? Could that have seriously tainted you in that? Maybe,
0: you... maybe. But I wasn't his hugest fan in Guardians either. Okay. Um, I think I think Chris Pratt was forced on me. I think that might have a lot to do with it. Like <laughs>
1: that's an interesting way of putting it.
0: Like I just feel like. The whatever the media like the culture machine was just like deal with this guy mm. and I was like I okay I, I guess like what do I do with you and then the other part of it is I don't know how much acting Chris Pratt actually does mm. um you know he kind of seems the same in most of his roles true uh as he is off screen and then there's not a ton of differences between him and in Jurassic World and Star Lord except he's perfect at everything in Jurassic World. Uh, you know, I mean, there's the, the probably my favorite moment of the podcast, uh, is Corey and I going off about what a cool guy he is in Jurassic World. Like, it's always like, look at this guy with his glass bottle Coke machine working on his motorcycle. What a cool guy. (laughs) And then Corey just takes that and runs with it. I think he plays, like, that cool guy a lot. Mm. Um, He was heralded immediately after being Star-Lord as new Harrison Ford, this is you know, the Han Solo of this generation. And I was like, I'm not done with old Han Solo, man. Like, <laughs> Han Solo is the Han Solo. Like, there's only one Han Solo, man. Yeah. And then his name started getting tossed around for like, oh, he should be the next Indiana Jones. And it's like, there are other people, man. Like, there are <laughs> other people to choose from. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is the next Indiana Jones as far as I'm concerned. I, lo- I think he would be a perfect Indiana Jones, but that's a different rant for a different day. Mm-hmm. Chris Pratt, uh, we'll see in this movie, he still kind of looks the same to mm. me ethan Hawke, uh yeah. yeah he's fine he's yeah. fine um maybe it's the last thing i saw him in was boyhood and i kind of mm. hated that movie
1: mm. um he so, looks good to me in yeah like, yeah he looks like he's got a legit small but like cool part when
0: he's good he's great yeah like he's either really good or i i'm really bored by him mm. he's either like incredibly boring or like awesome Uh, those are the only (laughs) extreme yeah uh vincent d'onofrio is my wife's favorite actor i think he's gonna be entertaining as hell in this movie i think he's gonna be super entertaining you think he'll be drunk most of the time i hope so as a trapper i hope so uh he just looks like off the hinges which is the best vincent d'onofrio um you know my edgar in men in black is my favorite vincent d'onofrio performance he's so great in that movie Mm -hmm. he's so great in that movie peter sarsgaard yes please Mm -hmm. i i really like peter sarsgaard as it is i really like that guy and i haven't seen him in anything in a minute and i i think he he's kind of like that michael sheen guy do you know who michael sheen is yeah 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 just like so slimy like just so good at playing the villain
2: Mm -hmm.
0: um so i'm pretty excited for all that the action scenes look like they're pretty well put together. I think there's going to be, like, a verve and an energy to the movie that I'm really going to dig into. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be one of the best movies of the summer that didn't come out in the summer. mm um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly on board for it. I don't know how much I'm going to have to say after. Like I said, all those themes about these lone men coming together, I don't know if that's what this movie has on its mind mm. primarily. And that's fine. Like, yeah. movies aren't just that thing um i think the original magnificent seven might have that on its mind a little bit more yeah this one seems like a good time at the movies yeah Um, you know i don't think i'll be bored by it uh i think it'll be kind of a popcorn movie yeah Um, you know i never say turn your brain off at a movie i've come to hate that phrase but i think it'll be a movie that just like you're entertained by and maybe that's all yeah and that's fine like we need more of that yeah Um, uh, there wasn't a lot of it this summer for Mm -hmm. sure uh star trek beyond is the only thing i can think of (laughs) um and you know i'm i'm fine with that so as long as the movie does that i think i'm gonna i'm gonna like it Uh, i might even love it it might even like be up there for me i hope so um you know denzel like we said puts in work i'm super excited for him yeah he looks great in it uh you know never mind the uh little confusing stuff with race that might happen in this movie of just like yeah we'll we're down with this guy saving us yeah <laughs> um you know
1: i don't know that that's not acknowledged in the movie maybe they'll make like a blazing saddles reference yeah Excuse me as I whip this out yeah something like that uh so but i
0: I think it looks cool um Antoine fuqua not a name I associate with particularly easy or fun movies to watch, because he directed Training Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, from what I hear, The Equalizer is great.
1: Mm. I never saw that. Uh, I heard it was really good. That's got um, that one girl that's really popular now. Elle Fanning? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know. And also, apparently, that scene in the Home Depot is amazing. Mm. I never I never saw the movie. Yeah. I don't know if you did.
1: Uh, I haven't. I've seen a lot of his movies. Like I saw the one, he uh, Safe Room, with Ryan Reynolds oh i heard that was now. really good that's a really good one actually ryan reynolds actually does a really good job of being the kind of playing it straight yeah like not playing funny man at all like mm-hmm. he does a really good job with that
0: yeah i heard that one was actually like really good too so yeah. i think he's entering this uh, this era where he like just kind of wants to have fun making movies and i'm mm-hmm. always for that like yeah. especially when a director is kind of proven with these intense things and they're like i'm just gonna do something yeah you know i kind of like it uh when that happens i think tony scott another director that denzel worked with a lot kind of did that Uh, i actually prefer tony scott's movies to ridley scott's movies (laughs) um nine (laughs) times out of ten and uh, i think later in his career he just like wanted to make fun cool stuff and he did like deja vu i think is super underrated sci-fi time travel movie Mm -hmm. has my favorite car chase i've ever seen in a movie in it I think that taking of Pelham 123 remake he did with John Travolta and Zinzel was great. I think John Travolta is super over the top and entertaining in that movie. Mm-hmm. Unstoppable was like a really good time at the movies. I saw that on Thanksgiving Alone, and it was a blast. Like, I, I but earlier in his career he Tony Scott was directing scripts that Tarantino wrote and stuff. And so, you know, it, I, I really have a respect for those guys who are like, I just want to entertain people now. Yeah. You know, I've, I've said all I need to say, but I love the, this process and I just want to break, like make people happy for a couple hours.
1: Yeah. So. That's a noble endeavor.
0: Yeah. I think so. I think that's absolutely worthy every time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, do you have anything else to say about Magnificent Seven? No,
1: not really. I, I, am same feelings as you. I think it'll be a really good time. I hope there's more meat to it. Like, yeah. some good, like, acting, some good kind of uh, interpersonal stuff. Like, I really hope that there's, like, the in the trailer, you, you have a scene of all of them in the, in the saloon. Mm. I hope they capitalize that, not mm-hmm. just a funny moment. Like, some real kind of heart-to-heart stuff. Not, like, drama like the whole movie's yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I want, if it's got that kind of interspersed amidst all, like, the blowing up and action mm-hmm. and crazy fun popcorn stuff, then i'm totally satisfied but if it's just a fun action flick i'm also just satisfied i mean this is coming from the guy who likes resident evil so yeah yeah will work out
0: i just i feel like this is going to be what suicide squad should have been maybe or mm. maybe what people were expecting out of suicide squad mm. those of us that hated it yeah um i think this might be that sort of mentality done the way we thought it might have gone down in that bad movie.
1: people coming together to do a good thing yeah
0: or at the very least morally ambiguous people coming together to do a good thing. Mm um you know i don't know how outright bad the magnificent seven are gonna be but they might be like a little dubious in their moral choices yeah um but yeah we'll see how it goes uh and we'll be back next week to talk about all that mm-hmm. and in the meantime you can find me at MJ Smith 891 on twitter ryan is not on twitter and i am on facebook you are on facebook ryan Buell i think every time facebook. we
1: mention that yep
0: Uh, You can find the show on Facebook, the before and after show page. Uh, You can find everything we do at www.thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. That's www.thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. And uh you can you can find us uh on iTunes, on Stitcher Radio, on SoundCloud, on Beyond Pod if you're an Android user. You can find a weekly show that I do with friend of the show and co-host of the show, Mike Morey, on YouTube, uh the before and after show on YouTube. We take classic movies. This week we're talking about Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. I think I got that right. Uh-huh. Um, And, like I said, all of that's at That Real Perspective, or you could just subscribe to all those things, and, uh, make sure you're reviewing the show on iTunes, uh, five-star reviews are preferred, but if you hate us, one-star reviews are understood, I guess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) the ratings really help us climb up the charts. They're super important for us, actually. Uh, the other thing that's super important for us is people knowing the show exists, and... One would think so. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Ryan and I do what we can, and those of us involved do what we can, but... You guys are the legs of this show. You guys are the ones who are going to make it run. And, uh, you know, we give you an hour of this every week. And in return, we just ask that you share it. And, you know, you listen to it. And then you say, hey, other people who like movies in my life, you should listen to this. Because I like what these people have to say about movies. So hopefully you do that. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. And until next time, go watch 8 Days a Week, The Touring Years of the Beatles. 8
1: days a week. Mm-mm. Yeah. Eight days a week, I don't know the rest of the words.
0: I couldn't remember them.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Legit?
0: I thought I was gonna come in, I was totally prepared to sing with you and then my brain was like, you don't know these words. <laughs>
1: The little